and gentlemen, and welcome to Hollywood. Hollywood the Dream Factory, where nights are bright and days are spent mid roses and rainbows. It's not what I'm talking about. Just imagine what it must have looked like in the eyes. Oh, the parties they must have had here, the stars, the glamour. Think how it must have looked when it was new. Think of what it would look like if it was clean. Who is that? I can't play dress up. Hey, what do you think this is, man? Halloween? Honey, I don't think that's him. I don't care who it is, man. You just stay the fuck away from me. Hey, 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 you gotta help me. I'm being chased by a crazy killer biker. What? Where's Lorraine? I don't know. We got separated. One victim is believed to be a transient, while the rest appear to be males and females in their early 20s. All of the killings took the form of violent mutilations with no apparent motive. Chip, did you hear that? Hi, I'm Elaine Beauty from My Bloody Valentine and The Incubus, and you're listening to The Hysteria Continues. And indeed you are. Welcome back to The Hysteria Continues, episode 229. And this time we're going back to old Hollywood for a previously lost movie, uh, Terror Night, from 1987, a.k.a. Bloody Movie, which was MIA, Missing in Action, um, uh, until I think around about 2004, uh, when it got a very, very belated release. So this was one of those, we, we always talk about those um, fabled uh, lost slashers, the ones that uh, were made and never saw the light of day. And this was one of them for the best part of 20 years. So uh, this was a suggestion to the show, and I've forgotten to write down who suggested it in the feedback last time. So whoever it was, it's your fault. Um, but uh, we will be talking about that uh, a little bit later. So before we do that, let's um, see. Uh, we'll see how we've been getting on. Eric, how are you doing? Why am I a whore? That's the eternal question, Eric. Because you made me that way. As you can see, the 10th anniversary hasn't changed us. I'm still trigger happy with my soundboard. Yes, you are. So, well, thank you, Eric. Anyway, I'm glad to hear you've still got a finger up it or in it or whatever. So, Nathan, uh, how are you? I brought my own mic. <laughs> Is that another Simpsons re- reference I don't get? Yeah, it's uh, Dr. Joyce Brothers. Have you ever heard of her, Justin? Dr. Joyce Brothers? On, Simps- on The Simpsons? No, like she's an actual like psychiatrist. No, I haven't. Have you heard of Dr. <gasps> Joyce Brothers? Have you never Eric? heard of her? Has Eric? Maybe she was a more of American staple. Yeah. Eric, have you ever heard of Dr. Joyce Brothers? Uh, Only from The Simpsons. I didn't realize it was a real person. Ah, okay. (laughs) So, and uh, Joseph, uh, are you in sunny Tennessee or is it it snowing there? What's it like where you are in the world at the moment? Uh, I don't know. I just woke up. I overslept, so I haven't looked out my window. By the way, I'm in Georgia, not Tennessee. Yeah, Justin. Okay. Yeah, I thought you were known as Justin Geography Curse. <laughs> well, I, that, I gave that title up. I, it's my new oh, nice. new resolution after the 10th uh, anniversary that I'd no longer be known as that, uh, although that was uh, just this one episode. So anyway, um, yes, we are back, and we are going to be talking about Terror Night a little bit later on. I've uh, got some interesting background on that one, um, and it's going to be interesting to have a chat about because... Well, I think it's a bit of a mess of a movie, but not without its charms. Um, but before we do that, let's have a bit quick chat about what we've been watching recently. So, Eric, have you had a chance to catch up with anything since we last recorded? Uh, only stuff that for future episodes of the podcast. The only, <laughs> I suppose you could call this as a horror film, as many considered it the major horror of 2019. I saw Cats, which is the big screen adaptation of Andrew Lloyd Webber's stage musical. And I think it's been harshly treated to be honest uh, i won't go into any detail because it's not a horror film and probably of little interest to anyone but i found it mildly entertaining and diverting and i i don't see what the fuss about it being the worst movie of all time is is coming from i don't i just don't get the critics reaction to me it was no worse than the greatest showman or something uh like dream girls i mean that they all i'm not a musicals enthusiast or fan by any means so they all kind of merge into one for me you do seem to have seen quite a few of them though eric (laughs) yeah well that's because i have a a a significant other who is enthusiastic about uh, musicals so i've seen a few by osmosis but um 
for me, Cats was no worse than a, a lot of the other ones I've seen. Um, I found it mildly diverting, and some of the tunes are actually quite catchy. Um, so there we go. Uh, I've, in terms of horror, I'm still reading that wonderful book, Taking Shape Two, which is uh, talking about all the unproduced um, sequels to the Halloween franchise. You know, starting from Part Four up until the reboot, and it's just so interesting and so engrossing, and it gives you an interesting um, insight into particularly how dimension pictures worked and how horrible they were to work for, but also. Um, how uh, eager they were to have ludicrous concepts shoehorned into the Halloween franchise with uh, Mustafa Akkad on the other side of the coin for Trancas International, trying desperately to keep them on track and to keep some sort of logic and internal logic to the sequels, whereas you had Harvey and Bob Weinstein trying to, you know, do all kinds of weird things with the Thorn Cult and all that. So it's a really, really interesting book if... uh, you have any interest in uh, the Halloween franchise, or even if you don't, I think it's just interesting to see what kind of pitches were being thrown their way and how ridiculous the Halloween franchise could have gone in so many ways had they been allowed to uh, progress with some of these ideas. It's a really good book. Yeah, I hear there's a uh, there's a, a thorn subplot that they didn't use where Harvey Weinstein exposes himself to Michael Myers. <gasps> he's the one. He's probably the one person that he didn't sleep with in Hollywood. Probably. Mm, well, we don't know. My night of passion with Halloween's Michael. Harvey Weinstein exclusive. <laughs> so, well, thank you. Thank you, Eric. Um, did they, I was talking of cats, so I, did they take out or did they add in CGI buttholes? I wasn't sure. CGI what? Buttholes. Cats, cats butts. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention to their buttholes, in, in all honesty, Justin, because I'm not that lowbrow. I'm quite highbrow, I think you'll find. Right. Well, thank you, Eric. Uh, Nathan, how about you? Unfortunately, aside from future episodes, um, I just haven't had time to watch anything. We've got um, like a made-for-TV mayhem coming up, so I've been watching those as well. Um, It's just been a busy time. Well, that's okay. It's, um, you know, we all sometimes we all have to cram things in, don't we? So, Joseph, how about you? Uh, no recently seen for me either this week, I'm afraid. Um, I've been completely uninterested in, uh, TV outside of what we've been doing for the show. So I I just haven't seen anything, but maybe this week I'll watch something. Okay. Well, tune in next time. The hysteria continues recently seen. Um, but, uh, yes, we've been very busy with very things. We've got a, uh, we've got another commentary or a few commentaries in the bag. So, uh, yeah, wait for those announcements coming soon, hopefully. But, um, for me, I've been quite busy, although I did catch up with the Screen Factory release of a film which I used to own on VHS before I got rid of my VHS collection before we moved abroad uh, from the uh, mid-1980s, Night of the Creeps, which was a firm favourite of mine back in the VHS days. Um, so I was keen to see how it held up on um, on the Screen Factory Blu-ray, and I'm glad to say it held up very well. It's still, uh, you know, easily one of the the funnest. Is that not even the word? But one, it's an incredibly fun uh, mid '80s uh, monster movie, kind of mashup of like zombies, monsters, aliens, and slashers, basically. So it's kind of a monster mash of a lot of the early 80s or the early to mid 80s um horror obsessions of um of hollywood and um independent producers everywhere so uh, i mean the only thing it's suffered but for it's not say suffered exactly but on the um the Chris, uh, the pristine uh, presentation is the special effects um looked a lot more rubbery than i remember them looking on on vhs uh, but um, we talked about that many times with the kind of the Blu-rays of things like Sam Raimi's The Original Evil Dead. Having said that, the fact is that you've got Tom Atkins sort of saying, making cracks about B-movies, uh, and this is very much playing into into those. So the, the rubbery special effects and the gore effects, which are plentiful, uh, it just adds to the charm. So, uh, yeah, great, um, you know, sort of great 80s chemistry between the young cast uh, and some great supporting sort of older players as well. So yeah, all round fun movie. And I, I, I imagine there isn't probably anyone here who doesn't like Night of the Creeps, or am I wrong? No, I love it. I love it too. Yeah, thrill me. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, so yeah. Well, that's um, pretty much. Uh, did I mention uh, the Devil's Reign on the last episode? I can't remember. It was in your top three of 1975. Yeah. 
Well, yes. well, you'll have to. Well, of course, I didn't mention it on the main show, did I? Well, it's just kind of. Well, if you want to hear, I saw the Devil's Reign for the first time ever, um, and uh, it was part of my top three, nineteen seventy-five. So, if you do want to hear my thoughts on that, then uh, jump over to Patreon after listening to this and sign up to support the show. So, well. Uh, I guess it's time to go to uh, back to old Hollywood. Well, I say old Hollywood, Hollywood in 1987. And I actually found a trailer for Terra Knight. So here it is. And a star-filled night in the Hollywood Hills on the decaying estate of the movie legend. Shadow is the shadow of death. This is the first time you took part in the satanic ritual? What are you talking about? Of course. Neither of you knew that the grounds of the Hayward Estate is being used for satanic rituals. No, we didn't. John I. Cameron Mitchell. Alan Hale. I said, who's out there? Aldo Ray. Daniel Haggerty. <laughs> and Sam the Wonder Dog. In the terror of the night, some came to steal. Some came to worship. So wonderful. Wonderful. So wonderful. wonderful. <laughs> I'm great! Yes, I'm great! You're wonderful. I'm one of your biggest fans. Who knew there were so many ways to die? You'll never forget Terra Knight. When a group of kids sneak into the dilapidated, apparently abandoned mansion of vanished silent film star Lance Haywood, they are methodically killed off by the psychotic actor who dons costumes from his classic film film roles for each murder. So that is a very short synopsis for Terror Night, aka Bloody Movie, which was a movie that, um, when we get into background, uh, you know, explain possibly why it kind of disappeared while it was never really seen. Um, so it's slightly ironic. The film is about this um, vanished silent film star, Lance Haywood, who I, I say was played by John Ireland. I use that in inverted commas because uh, he, John Ireland, turns up at the end of the movie for five minutes uh, and then does uh, um, um, for some bizarre reason which is never quite explained uh, does a soliloquy from uh, Othello uh, but um, but the, the the essence of the movie is it's a very conflicted movie basically um, it has a very very kind of early 80s early to mid 80s uh, aesthetic or the idea of you know you essentially getting a group of kids uh, or basically uh, people in their early 20s who go up to the the mansion of uh, Lance Hayward which presumably had been up in the Hollywood Hills that had been abandoned for uh, many years uh, and it had been bought by um, a, a kind of a real estate um uh, company is going to be torn down the following day so though they go up there um and for some bizarre reason even though they're in their early 20s they they many of them seem to be great fans of lance haywood who hasn't made a film since 1940 so all basically if you're looking for anything to make sense in this movie forget it really but at its essence what it is is kids go to dilapidated mansion kids get dead movie until it um, until the end of the movie where it gets it's for the first two thirds of it that's what it is and the the killer who is clearly not um, John Ireland who uh, turns up uh, say like for the last five minutes or so um, uh, and it has a kind of a splattering of uh, kind of um, uh, kind of older film stars people possibly I'd say fair to be say are kind of past their prime I mean it has Alan Hale Jr not Alan Dale um, unfortunately but Alan Hale who was skipper on Gilligan's Island and also you have kind of cameos really of just um, 
uh, sort of older stars who turn up and die, basically. Uh, sort of Dan Haggerty, who was uh, Grizzly Adams. Uh, Cameron Mitchell sort of turns up for five minutes at the end of the movie as like a police chief. And of course, he was in you know, quite a few slashes around the time. I mean, he was in um, Blood and Black Lace and The, the Demon, um, Trapped Alive, uh, also Memorial Valley Massacre. Um, and Aldo Ray, who turns up and plays a drunk for five minutes, uh, was also in Terror on Alcatraz for a bit longer, um, another slash movie from 87. It was also in films like Evils of the Night and Dark Sanity. Um, so they kind of turn up, collect a paycheck and get killed, basically. Uh, so, um, But the younger cast uh, essentially are in the mansion, uh, are running around the mansion and being picked off one by one by this mysterious figure who kind of well, basically dresses as things like um, the Sheikh and uh, the uh, kind of uh, Zorro-style um, uh, kind of characters from his films and sort of kills them in methods that he used to kill people in his in his movies. So as a movie, it's a, it's an odd one, really, because it, it kind of plays like a straight-head slasher for much of it. Uh, then it goes off in a very weird tangent towards the end of the movie uh, and it makes very little sense uh, whatsoever. So it's kind of understandable kind of why the movie perhaps didn't get released, although I do have some other theories about why that would be the case when you sort of hear some background on it. But at its heart, um, it's a conflicted movie. It doesn't make a great deal of sense. But it does have some fun performances in it. I kind of I enjoyed. I kind of it has a charm to it, and I, it's. I don't know if it's because of the, the kind of COVID fatigue and whatever. But they're going back, like going back and watching Night of the Creeps. Is um, uh, some of these eighties horror movies are like putting on a pair of bloody slippers, and you know the comfort horror. I think in in some ways. And this has a lot of, of that. It has some echoes of better movies from uh, before, but it actually has a likable central cast. Um, so I, that helps carry a lot of it through. But uh, I reviewed this back on Hysteria Lives. I can't remember when it was. And the uh, the funny thing, and I don't know if it says much about the movie or it says a lot about my memory or whatever it is, but I had I couldn't remember much of the movie. So when I was watching it, it was almost like I was watching it for the first time. So... Um, I could be interested to hear what you guys think of it. Is it a first time watch for you guys? Have you seen it before? First time watch for me. First time watch. Well, what, Eric, what was uh, what were your thoughts on Terror Night? Um, well, I mean, I thought the as you said, the premise is enticing. I mean, it's a very basic premise. It's teens and and some bikers actually in an abandoned house, menaced by a killer. So I thought, okay, it's got that going for it. Uh, so the setup is kind of. I suppose Night of the Demons meets Friday the 13th Part 3. But, I don't know, it doesn't quite live up to the premise for me. The film is kind of the epitome of late 80s, let's make films purely for product for the shelves of VHS stores and, and for no other reason. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing, because like a lot of them are, are can be quite good. But this one I felt a bit flat and lifeless in between, you know, some pretty fun um, gore scenes, which are pretty lo-fi. Um, the use of the stock footage and the, the brief cameos of, of faded film stars coming in to be killed off after two or three minutes kind of gave it that disjointed Doris Wishman feel, I thought. Um, I mean, there is bits in it I did like, um, as you were saying, like most notably there's a cameo by the rugged Dan Haggerty, uh, who's very wooden as he delivers his scant few lines of dialogue. And incidentally, I was also wooden watching him deliver his lines. Um, and I would quite, I quite envied the killer actually getting to penetrate him with his big spear. Um, Not Aldo Ray. I would have thought would have had you pegged down as an Aldo Ray. Well, yeah, but Dan Haggerty has the beard. Although he needs to lose the Barry Gibb hairstyle because that's a big no-no to my culture. Um, I think the the location is good. You know, the the abandoned house and all that. And I love the the goofy bikers because it's a very 80s view of what biker chic was uh you know a leather waistcoat on the on the males with and he has long hair and earrings and they talk more like surfers like the girl when she goes into the house is like dude whoa check this out um and one interesting thing i noted about the house when they break in is that it's all covered in like gothy cobwebs and has open bottles of wine everywhere and i was wondering who would live in a house like that i was wondering um i love the the film buffery that's gone into the script i mean that whole scene about the volatile nature of nitrate prints 
and when they're talking about the robotics and the prosthetic effects that they use in movies i thought okay that shows a degree of thought has gone into this script and it has that in-depth knowledge and i liked those scenes and some of the deaths are interesting there's a decapitation that's almost an exact replica of the one in um, hell knight uh, and there's you know another girl falls into a pit of spikes and there's a guy who has his torso ripped in half which is kind of like a a lower five version of a similar effect in day of the dead um, but on the whole, I said that the film kind of felt a bit flat to me and, and failed to hold my attention. There was no suspense or excitement for it. Um, maybe towards the end, when Cameron Mitchell shows up, there's a, a scene where one of the main characters is killed off at that point, and it came as a genuine surprise. But for me, it felt like a, a sort of a less successful version of something like The Horror Star, which is, itself is a very flawed film, but I thought it was a more entertaining version of this kind of storyline and even like it has shades of fade to black which is a much better film as well um that imagined sort of daydream stage performance at the end as you were talking about there it felt very tacked on as if they said they needed another 10 minutes for the running time so they just threw that in that's what it feels like but part of me was kind of wishing that it had more of a a patchwork feel and more was more rough around the edges than it actually was because then it might have that um je ne sais quoi that's something like boarding house or night to dismember had you know the films are just so piecemeal and and weird that they have a real entertainment value whereas this one as i said it just felt a bit meh i suppose is the word i'm looking for uh for most of its running time i mean it's not bad at all and considering I'm, I'm assuming that there was um lots of production problems with it and the budget was exceptionally low i think they've done well to bring out a film um that has that is relatively cohesive um and i think if, if this type of late 80s low budget straight to video horror floats your boat um, which sometimes it does for me, but sometimes it doesn't. And this is the ones, the ones that maybe doesn't. So, uh, but I think a lot of people will get a lot out of the film more than I will. Um, so, yeah, it's a very, very run-of-the-mill film from my perspective, but uh, not awful. Okay. Well, thank you, uh, Eric. Um, what about you, Nathan? Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, I had seen it way back when it first got released on DVD. Um, but honestly, it was one of those movies I didn't remember much about at all. And I mean, just on a down note, rewatching it, I could kind of understand why I don't know that it's a very memorable movie, but I was, I was fairly entertained. I do can see what Eric is saying, you know, because it, it's like they didn't try to go for any suspense at all. The music itself is not very like suspenseful. Um, and actually there's it's even some scenes that seems more like an eighties comedy, like when the bikers are chasing, um, uh, some of the teenagers, um, it's, it's, it's done in that eighties comical way, like an eighties comic chase scene or something. It, it just, just really funny, but the kills themselves, I just, I mean, they are great, but there's no, um, like suspenseful buildup for them. It's just, you know, it, I, I enjoyed it, but I was like, I feel like they could have did more with some, with some things. Um, that being said, you know, the different death scenes are, his, are great. Um, I thought that Michelle Bauer as Joe was absolutely hysterical. She was probably my favorite character in it. I love the scene where, um, she looks out the door and sees, uh, Sherry walking in the hallway and instead of assuming it could be a human or anything, she immediately runs back to her boyfriend and is like, there's a ghost in this mansion and like is dead serious. Like she thinks that it's a ghost. So I thought that was kind of funny because it was so ridiculous. And then in her death scene, like, I don't know, it was uh, it was something else. Um, um, I thought it was funny that her boyfriend got beat up by one of the teen guys. And he was he's way bigger than that guy. So that was really funny to me, too. Um, I love the song that's playing when um, Sherry and her boyfriend are in the bathtub in the beginning of the movie. I thought that was a lot of fun, the um, the the song they were playing. But, of course, I can't find it anywhere except for in this movie. But, you know, that is what it is. Are you saying there wasn't an official soundtrack released? I'm, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm absolutely shocked. Um, I still don't know what was going on with that ending. Uh, spoiler alert. How do you kiss someone to death? Well, if you've got a, if you've got a tongue like mine, it's very easy. Ooh. I just don't understand how it killed her. I mean, it, it just seems the ending is just really weird. It almost feels like a dream sequence or something. 
but I mean, you know, it is what it is. Um, but no, overall, um, the setting is great. The plot is great. I mean, it's got its flaws, but overall, it's definitely a lot better than something like um, Hollywood's New Blood. But I do feel if they had gone more overboard with it, it could have been a trash classic. Just my opinion. Hmm. Okay. Well, thank you, Nathan. Uh, what about you, Joseph? Yeah, uh, Terror Night. I watched it earlier this week and then uh, partially again last night, and I cannot for the life of me remember much of anything that happens in this movie other than the ridiculous amount of stock footage before each murder, and I um, I, I remember an obscene amount of exposition. I mean, you could literally call this movie Exposition Night because every other scene is some sort of monologue explaining the history of this Lance Hayward character and his fortune, how he seemingly vanished from Hollywood. I mean, I think they even at one point go to great lengths to pin down his age and his filmography to almost an exactness, but you know, nothing on why he decides to go on a killing spree at all, unless I missed it. Um, frankly, I didn't really care. And certainly there's nothing on why a bunch of, uh, you know, your typical late eighties teens would care enough to break into a, uh, silent film stars estate. Um, but, you know, this being 1987, of course, I love the aesthetic, the uh, the feathered hair and the polo shirts. And normally that would be almost enough to warrant uh, a film uh, recommendation if the characters were memorable. But I, I honestly, I would fail at naming a single one of them outside of, you know, a girl with giant hoop earrings or a drunken glam rock biker couple. Um, when we get to some of the, 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 the goofier death scenes, I, I, I think I might have chuckled a time or two. I mean, I love that opening murder with the guy being, uh, pulled off or as it were. And, uh, his, yeah, his torso is about four foot too long to look even remotely close to being real. Um, so I did get a kick out of that, but honestly, as the film went along, I just, I started to understand why it was never released. I mean, I've certainly seen worse, but, you know, even some of the worst movies have a hook or something. I mean, this was just, like Eric said, this was just bland. I don't think I've been this bored or uninterested in a movie since we covered, uh, uh, what was that, that, that movie with the, the clowns and they, they were a rock band, uh, Terror on Tour. Terror on Tour. Yeah, I haven't been this, like, uninterested in a film since then. I mean, this is just, like... I blink, blink my eyes and it's over with and I'm like, okay, so it's a thumbs down for me. I'm afraid. Um, there's, there's a few bits and pieces in it that I liked like that opening death. And I think the dog might've been the most interesting character in the film, if I'm honest, but yeah, this, I can see why this is possibly, you know, why it was never released. So and that's my tuppence on it. Well, thank you. One thing I was going to say was the, I mean, Nathan was talking about if it had gone a bit further, it could have been like a trash classic. Because the original ending, as far as I'm aware, was the idea really was that um, uh, Lance Haywood was a kind of, he was... Um, uh, and it kind of hinted that throughout that he was um, he basically kept himself alive um, because he would have been in his 90s. He was going to get himself alive and he turned himself into a robot. And uh, so Jim, there was a scene with the um, uh, the animatronic hand. And if you look very closely in the, um, uh, the the last scene where you've got the final girl and him, and he for some reason he's he's well he's blacked up, isn't he, as Othello, which is very strange in itself. And he's giving this um, is basically going through Othello with her, and she grabs its face and she pulls some stuff away. And you see, if you look closely, you can see some silver underneath. So it was the original ending was meant to be that um, they would pull him off his face, his face anyway, <laughs> like Davros, like in the da- you know da- the Daleks. So he'd be this withered little man inside this um, biomechanical suit. And part of the reason why they didn't go down that route was because um, probably budgetary reasons, I imagine, and also John Ireland flatly refused to wear any prosthetics. So instead, they went. They had this strange, very strange ending. Um, of this kind of Othello ending, which I, again was, and apparently this is you know getting into getting into a little bit of background, but I'll just stop at this point. Was that um, was that the uh, one of the things they wanted to make the producer wanted to make with this with um, Andre Tatoff, who was or Tatouf, um, who was uh, one of the three directors on this movie, and apparently he only directed that last scene, but um, they wanted to make uh, a Macbeth in space as their next film. 
and uh, so with a view of John Ireland, presumably um, in playing um, one of the lead characters in in a in a space bound Macbeth adaptation, which is why they did an Othello scene, and apparently that was one of the reasons they attracted him to this role was telling him that he get a chance to play um, uh, Shakespeare because he'd always wanted to. Boy, he must have been disappointed when he finally got on set. <laughs> well, exactly, but um, and that's why I think a lot of these people didn't put their name to the movie. But the thing I didn't understand. Let me get this right. So you got this Lance Haywood character who's disappeared for since the, when they've twenty years or so, and his house is about to be ripped down. And but he also has twenty million dollars in his house, doesn't he? So rather than just going back to his house and saying. And they said they can't get hold of him, and they, no one's heard of him for 20 years. So rather than just go, here I am, it's my house, fuck off, he goes back, kills a bunch of people um, for no reason, really, that I could see. He could have just said, no, I own this house, leave it alone. Maybe his robotic circuits have been scrambled, and he's not thinking properly. He kills people that are his fans. Who does that? Well, ex- exactly, yes. Although, to be fair, it was only really that, that one woman was his fan, wasn't it? I think a lot of our fans, if they listen to this episode, it's going to kill them. So, <laughs> so well, anyway, um, uh, yeah, uh, to be honest, again, it's one of those movies where the background information is possibly, arguably, a lot more interesting than the actual film itself. But um, uh, you guys, have you guys got anything you want to put forward, uh, Eric? Yeah. Um, what do I have? Uh, it's really just li- literally about uh, some of the cast and what they went on to do or what they did before. Uh, yeah. So the director is, is it's credited to Nick Marino uh, and this is his sole directorial outing, but he was part of the production team on uh, a favorite of Nathan's Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers. And um, the second unit director was Fred J. Lincoln, who we most famously know, I think, as Weasel in Last House on the Left. But he was also a porn actor and director whose credits include uh, such wonderful titles as uh, The Last Whorehouse on the Left, uh, Willy Wankers and the Fun Factory, Friday the 13th and Nude Beginning, uh, Anal Intruder 10, and my favorite title, Abducted by the Enema Bandit. Uh, So there we go, some of his classics. Um, John Ireland is not from Ireland. He's from Canada which is uh, surely someone should contact Trades Descriptions folk about that. But uh, he was nominated for an Oscar in 1949 for his role in All the King's Men. Uh, of course, we would know him from a later role in The Incubus in 81. And, uh, you know, like a good few Hollywood stars, he found himself in his later years in low-budget exploitation movies. Uh, so he was in things like Messenger of Death and, and Waxwork 2. Uh, you already mentioned Alan Hale, not Alan Dale, uh, from Gilligan's Island. I recognise him from Bill Raban's giant spider invasion. Uh, so that's what I see. Um, Stacy Greason, I think it's how you say her surname. She was also in Friday the Thirteenth Part Seven, opposite William Butler. Uh, they were boyfriend and girlfriend in that. She played Jane. Uh, they get killed early on in that film. Um. Ken Abraham, who plays Greg, was in Creepazoids around this time. Uh, did a lot of, of uh, low-budget movies and TV guest spots, but he started working in the art department of huge-budget movies. Uh, so he worked in the art department of Maverick, Color of Night, Candyman for Wealth of the Flesh, Clueless, Batman and Robin. Uh, and he's now an editor, and he, he edited one, one of Justin's favorite TV shows, America's Next Top Model, which I didn't think was still going, but it appears to be. Aldo Ray, you mentioned he was also in Human Experiments, Don't Go Near the Park, Centerfold Girls, and Psychic Killer. Uh, Dan Haggerty, Dan Haggerty, I should say, uh, plays he plays um ro- he plays the role bearded biker in two different movies, uh, Angels Die Hard and Chrome and Hot Leather. Uh, of course, he found famous Grizzly Adams in the movie, the subsequent TV series, and all the spin-offs. Uh, and he was permanently typecast as Rugged Hairy Mountain Man. That's totally begging for it in uh, all the roles he did afterwards. Um, so he, again, was relegated to low-budget horror, but there is one in his catalogue that sounds kind of interesting. I'd like to see. It's called The Chilling from 1989, where he stars opposite Linda Blair uh, about bodies in a cryogenic facility. Oh, that, that I, used po- to have that, I used to have that poster... Um, I love that poster of the zombie looking out from the the meat locker door. Oh, have you ever seen the movie? Because it sounds yeah, the movies of... the movies really just it's kind of like Terror Night. It's, it's kind of bland, oh, okay. but it's it's still kind of fun. It's a little, I think it's a little more fun, honestly. Okay, well, it's got Dan Haggerty as the eye candy, and then Linda Blair as kind of the fun part. So I'm just wondering if it might be worth watching for me, anyway. Um, so that's all I have. I don't really have any background on the production of the movie itself, but I there is a. I dread your background uh, 
Justin, because you mentioned a tiny bit of it to us and it made me feel ill. There's a there's a two word phrase in there that makes always makes me feel sick. Well, no, we'll, we'll come on to that literally um, a little bit later. But uh, Nathan, how about you? Have you got anything for us? No. <gasps> okay. Thank you. What about you, Joseph? Yeah, uh, apparently Andrew DeToth um, wore a neck brace during shooting after suffering some sort of injury. I didn't find out what injury that was. Um, one of the shooting locations was also, again, apparently an estate which once belonged to Errol Flynn. Uh, most sources say the first official release was in 2004 under the uh, bloody movie title, though some say it got a release in 1997. Uh, though none of the materials I looked into named a format or distributor for this supposed 1997 release, so I don't know. Maybe you have more on that, Justin. Um, I did attempt, uh, before I watched the movie, uh, I should remind you, I did attempt to snag an interview from uh, William Butler, but was told to, quote-unquote, wait for the book. And now that I've seen the movie, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not interested, William. Sorry. Oh, shade. I actually am interested to hear what people have to say that worked on this movie, mm. though. I would be too. I would be too. Yeah. Well, thank you, Joseph. Well, if you're interested in um, hearing what people said about who worked on the movie, I, I stumbled when I was doing some research uh, across a fantastic book, which I'd heard about before, but I bought the um, the Kindle version of it. It's It came from the 80s, interviews with 124 f- um, cult filmmakers um, by... Uh, Francesco Borsetti, I think he's uh, probably not pronouncing his name correctly. Um, And he uh, interviews lots of people involved in a number of movies that uh, sort of came out in, well, in the 1980s, as it sounds like. So he interviews quite a few people involved uh, on this movie, mostly people, um, some of the actors, but a few people behind the camera as well. So so I'll attempt to uh, sort of, well, just mention some of those um uh sort of bits it's i think the film was probably shot in kind of um around august um sort of late summer 1987 uh there was a piece in the new york daily news from september 1987 that said john island had placed a work wanted in the trades um like a variety of presumably box office magazine saying that he was looking for work and he's contacted by nick marino uh, for Terranite. Uh, but he said that it said in this piece that he'd injured his back playing tennis the day before shooting started. So Dan Haggerty had to step in, which kind of seems very strange. If you've seen the movie, Dan Haggerty is in the movie for literally, what, 30 seconds? Um, before he gets impaled so so I think it sounds like it's a very troubled um, production Nick Marino is an interesting character because Nick Marino is um, and a lot of this goes in and I'm saying this allegedly because obviously I don't want to get into trouble but um, Nick Marino was uh, essentially made his his name in porn movies he was a porn producer uh, and um, so uh, and he kind of basically wanted to get into inverted commas legit filmmaking making some horror movies he also made this and um the the zombie movie death house uh which directed by john saxon uh, around about the same time um some of the people who worked on that film said uh, including john saxon um said that uh, nick marino um had certain how can i put it sort of associates who would come and visit the film who uh looked like gangsters uh, and Nick Marino's um, found out, I think when he was 13, that his own father was a, a mafia hitman. So I think there were allegations that there, were, there was mob money uh, behind these two movies. Now, I don't know, um, and again, I'm just saying allegedly, but I do wonder partly if the reason why neither of these movies that came out until they got released in 2004 on Fred and Ray's Retromedia um, label, uh, that possibly i i have i've heard about this happening before that um as kind of films made as tax write-offs with no real so actually putting money into a film just so you can write off against tax uh with no real intention of the film ever being released i'm not saying that happened with this but that's one of the theories about why the movie um, was never released the other one was that uh, with this movie was that they didn't clear the rights for the um any of the older footage because the film every time um lance haywood is about to kill somebody uh some clips from his from old films usually errol flynn or those kind of films from the 1930s or kind of serial films um would play before that and apparently they hadn't got um 
any hadn't even attempted to get any uh, kind of uh, rights to those movies. So although the film was screened um, with a view for it being sold, nobody would touch it with a barge pole because of the um, the threat of being sued. And if you if you listen to our um, Fate of Black commentary uh, for Vinegar Syndrome, it's one of the things that plagued that production as well was when they used some of the old clips for movies. Uh, they had to change them around, or um, they got sued by the the um, the, the state of Hopalong Cassidy of all people. Um, so that was one of, possibly one of the, one of the reasons why it didn't get released although why it suddenly got released in 2004 i don't know i didn't find um any any information joseph about it getting released um previous to that but maybe it maybe it got some kind of um a release i did see someone saying it got released somewhere in, in germany in the early 2000s was the first release it got yeah i hmm. i read australia but it, you know it could have been germany or it could have been both i don't know yeah but the, the thing with some of the some of the other interesting things from this book and so i do check out that book if you're kind of interested in this but um it has some interviews and murray levy who was um one of the writers on terror night he said um he um, nick marino had an idea of he wanted to do a film uh, about star killing people now of course we sort of mentioned it's very similar to the horror star uh, with jeffrey coombs from 1981 uh 81 82 and also fate of black so whether or not he kind of um uh, kind of borrowed from that but john saxon i think said that um uh nick marino when they made death house was he um he he would go and see a film the night before like scar he said they used an example of scarface and he'd come back and say make it more like scarface and he said he kept on coming every film he saw if he's seen annie the night before he'd come and say make it more like annie so he was he didn't really know what he was doing um really uh but um so he kept on changing his mind which might explain why and apparently he wanted to originally the idea was to make a more of a straight head slasher movie um but he kept on changing his mind throughout it and adding these other bits to it so it's why the film's a little bit of a mess um so murray levy says he wrote the original script and uh, uh kenneth hall rewrote it and polished it um the as, as you mentioned the beginning of the film was made on the remains of the old errol flynn man- mansion um i when i was looking into this apparently the errol flynn mansion it was a it's a bit of an urban legend because although uh, it's it's gone into urban legend it was the um his mansion uh apparently it's somewhere he stayed um in a guest house after he lost his his mansion uh, due to alimony payments and it's a place called runyon canyon which is in la um which is um it was rumored to be haunted by uh, a dead opera star uh, apparently but now it's a uh, it's kind of a quite famous um uh kind of park in uh, in los angeles um but uh, the the place where uh, errol flynn stayed burnt down in 1972 uh so what you see there is kind of like the remains of it where they actually shot the majority of it was actually a nunnery um so they had loads of nuns running around this place uh trying to find out what they were actually making apparently they submitted a fake script to the nuns uh and they had to bolt the doors to stop them coming in while they were filming the sex scene more of which later but um the uh the area the this runyon canyon um was at the time it was kind of place where lots of homeless people lived uh and apparently there was a there was quite a well a time of famous not massacre but somebody uh shot a load of homeless people up there uh in 1980 um and the news i think the la times uh described it as a home for hobos coyotes and rattlesnakes and one of the special effects crew when they were shooting up there said that they left their cars there while they were shooting and someone broke in um presumably a homeless person stole all the stuff in the cars which included all their props they were going to use for some of the killings and one of those was a bow and arrow and they said they were shooting and they were worried that they were going to be shot from behind the bushes by uh, a homeless person with a bow and arrow which would have been um art imitating life a little bit too closely perhaps um so uh just going back to a uh, um uh, it's very confused. In this, in this, um, this book, the recollections of who um, directed what seem very, very confused. It sounds like it started with um, uh, the uh, the guy from uh, um, the last house on the left, and apparently he got fired or left because of drugs and women or something. This is what somebody was saying, and um, Nick Marino took over and finished the film. And Andre Titoff, he only filmed the last sequence. But then someone else said, and this Murray Levy says, that um, 
that uh, he, he says that he watched Andrew Dittoff filming a few scenes and he thought they had a hit on the hands, but he said he had to hurt, uh, he had to leave the production because of a hurt neck. I think as you mentioned that, uh, Joseph, and I saw two different reasons. One was saying that he fell over and banged his head on a generator um, because it was so dark up there. And the other one I saw, he got pulled off by a Dalmatian. Justin. Well, pulled over, I mean, sorry, pulled over by a Dalmatian. So which one it was, I, I don't know. Um, so he said that um, he, he said that uh, um, Fred Lincoln had drug and women issues, uh, although he was making at the same year. He's like you said, um, Eric, he made Friday the 13th, a nude beginning uh, the same year. And he went on to make terror, uh, 10 years after this was made and, um, a porno version of Terror Night, which I don't know if it's exactly a remake of this film, but he made, he directed a film called Terror Night, which was a porno a porno so presumably it was possibly based on this um he said that aldo ray was who plays this kind of hobo uh, drunk hobo was in a very bad way and was so drunk that he um lost his pants um ahead of one <laughs> uh, shooting one scene and had delayed lots of things so so the fact is again method acting aldo ray was dr- drunk during his scenes in while he was actually shooting them um so uh, he says that um, uh, that uh, originally um, it was mentioned they couldn't get clearance for they didn't even try and get clearance for the old footage. Uh, and Murray Levy says that Nick uh, Marino vanished into thin air at some point. Um, so I don't know if he's anyone's ever heard of, of him since, but he kind of disappeared. Um, the um, Kenneth J. Hall, who who uh, took on the script, he said the original script was ridiculous. The killer would be in his eighties. So he came up with the idea that he had his biomechanical suit that kept him young. Um, he says he fell out with Marino, um, but he says that Fred Lincoln uh, directed uh, the majority of the picture. Um, and I mentioned that the the idea was to uh, have this ending scene was really a teaser trailer for their Macbeth in space, which had um, Andrew Dutoff, who, of course, directed the um, the amazing Vincent Price 3D movie House of Wax. And of course, is the father of the, the lead in Nightmare Beach as well. Um, uh, Linnea Quigley was cast in the movie, but um, apparently quit before she could uh, could start. Um, uh, Cleef Hall, who did some of the special effects, he did also did some of the special effects on, um, oh God, what's it called? Not uh, Nightmare, blah, blah, which is the one with the shot on the, on the scene, on the sets of Friday 13 part three. Oh, Twisted Nightmare. Yeah. So he did, he was involved with, with that, um, that, yeah, he was the one who mentioned they had to give the, the nuns a fake script. Um, and, uh, he also said he was, that, um, that uh that john island refused to be made up by him so why they had to change the ending perhaps um now the thing that um um, eric was um referring to was that jimmy elwell or timothy elwell um who plays the biker with michelle bauer said during their sex scene which is the one where they said they had to kind of hold the door to stop the nuns coming in to find out what was going on um, he said that to Michelle Bauer was they were both naked and she was rubbing uh, herself up and down him and left a, a snail trail of pussy juice on him. Ew, ew. Oh, you lucky bastard. Well, <gasps> yeah. I'm not kidding. I would let Michelle Bauer shit in my mouth. I'm not kidding. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. You can go have that, 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 that bearded mountain man eric dan haggerty you can, ha- yeah. Yeah, you can have him and go off and hunt bears together or something yeah so the the other um the other porno um uh, connection was that the i can't remember the character's name but uh, the the ditzy blonde who gets decapitated in this the scene that you mentioned joseph about the very much like the hell knight so is it suki goodwin got was it suki goodwin i can't remember if it was her or no it wasn't it was the other one wasn't it jenny jenny numa gets um decapitated so they kind of redid that kind of scene really with the the character who was played by um, uh, Jamie Summers, who uh, was a, a hardcore starlet uh, around that time and was famous apparently at the time as the brat in uh, pornos. Was Jamie Summers not the name of the uh, bionic woman played by Lindsay Wagner? Yes, I think it might have been actually. Ooh, yeah. and that would tie in with a bionic suit. Oh, it would, it would, it would, wow. yes. But um, the guy that was in the bath with her, apparently, I can't remember his name now, but in that scene that you said you loved the song playing over, uh, Nathan, he said that um, he he was very um, aware of her modesty and stuff because she was very, you know, he thought she seemed very demure. And then he found out that she'd um, been in uh, in some hardcore movies. So obviously it was presumably somebody known to uh, Nick 
Marino. Um, there's a there's an article, there's a clip, just a not clip, a little piece here from the book, and um, uh, one of the people working on it says that Devorah Cutler and I were brought onto the project by Devon Frazier. Devon heard that porn producer Nick Marino wanted to make the leap from porno to horror films and was looking for a screenwriter who's familiar with the horror genre like me. Devorah, Devon and I drove up to Nick Marino's house in the Pacific Palisades to meet with him. Marino, short, paunchy, balding and cocky, seemed like a typical wise guy from the Bronx, complete with an accent and gold chain necklace. His furniture looked rented and there were a couple of young porn actresses wandering around inside and outside by his pool. His home appeared to mainly function as a convenient place to shoot porn. I liked porn, so this set, set up didn't bother me. In fact, I sort of admired Marino for a spine to break free from the skin flicks and go legit. Um, I think that may have been actually um, talking about the repairing uh, Death House, which uh, the John Saxon directed movie, which again didn't get a release until uh, a little bit later. So, uh, yeah, I think that's probably all I've got uh, uh, on the movie. There's a few other bits. Um, uh, Just one, actually, piece. I think it's Kenneth Hall says that uh, uh, he said, I saw the movie with Nick before it was shown in the theatre. So it got one movie showing um, in LA. And he said he had a VHS copy made. Um, we watched it on his television. He was still somewhat enthusiastic about the movie at that point. When it later had a public screening, he introduced the movie. I wasn't there, but I was told that Nick was apologetic and almost embarrassed by how Night uh, Terror Night had turned out. So apparently um, pretty much everyone uh, said that they were going to take their name off the movie. So, uh, yeah, a troubled production and one that could still be sitting in obscurity if it hadn't been rescued by Fred Olin Ray in the mid-2000s. So, um, so yeah, so that's kind of uh, most of the background, I think. I have a little bit of background, but I'll, I shall mention that a brief bit um, uh, when we get to uh, the choice of song to play out with at the end of the movie. So um, anything left to say? I've got something. Mm. Um, Carla Barron, who played Lorraine, uh, played in Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolorama. What was Can that you movie say the again? title, Justin? Justin, what was the name of that film? Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolorama. Yeah. Ah, very good. Thank you. But I think it's one of those movies that possibly if they, they did a, a remake, as in a remake in a movie, but actually kind of did a behind-the-scenes making of the movie, because uh, you can imagine all these nuns running around, trying peeking through um, windows, trying to see what they were doing. And then you've got um, Michelle Bauer uh, sort of rutting naked in presumably mm. a nun's bed. Mm. So <laughs> anyway, well, some mm. private time for Calm Joseph. Calm down, Joseph. <laughs> I've got a chest for her. She can leave a snail trail on. Snail trail, Eric. Snail trail. Ew, ew. This has been the most <laughs> disgusting episode ever. Between that and her defecating in your mouth, it's just been horrible. Yeah, you're, you're, you're lambasting me for defecation jokes, and yet you're the one who plays the... <laughs> Every single episode. There it is. (laughs) Okay. Well, Eric. Yes. Yes. Um, Are we ready for? I think you are. This. It's my joke of the week. It's so, so fantastic. Why was John Arlen's character so useless at combat? Because he always used to throw his lance wayward. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar... Oh, I thought the Oscar was going to go to me. (laughs) Maybe you could impale yourself on that gold statue, Eric. Or done something with it. (gasps) That's what I mean. Yes. Yes. Uh, What was the uh, kind of feedback? What kind of... uh, What was the... I presume... Because I I noticed when I looked at the Facebook group, quite a few people hadn't seen or even heard of this movie before. So I'm kind of guessing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Out of uh, a mere 26 votes, (laughs) uh, 43% of those listeners enjoyed Terror Night. 54% were neutral and 3% did not enjoy the film. And our listener of the week is... Dr. Butcher MD, and that stands for Medical Deviant, apparently. And he or she writes, It was 1987. The genre at that point had its best years behind it, and Terror Night has that vibe. I would agree with that. Um, You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can listen on most podcatchers and YouTube. Uh, Consider supporting the show via Patreon for as little as a dollar per month, or you can purchase some cool swag from our Redbubble shop. Just, uh, 
Just search for the Hysteria Continues on Google and you'll find us pretty much everywhere. And for feedback, our email address is thehysteriacontinues at gmail.com. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. And do we have some, we've got some other feedback, haven't we, this time? Who would like to go first? Okay. I've got one here. Uh, and it is from our friend Jay Bullington. He says, Greetings, Podfathers. Happy 10th birthday. I truly enjoyed the clip show on Patreon. So much fun going back to all those moments. Your show on the bird with the crystal plumage, or plumage, as uh, we now like to call it, was super enjoyable. Being older than all of you put together, that makes uh, Jay quite old indeed. (laughs) I remember that not long after plumage, Tony Musante starred in a TV show called Toma. It only lasted one season, and I don't think I remember seeing him around much after that, but I guess I shouldn't be surprised after hearing what Argento thought of him. Many, many, many congratulations to you all on your 10th year celebration. May there be many more. I know I've said it before, and others have said it as well, but listening to your show is just like hanging out with friends and talking about the stuff I love the most. Don't ever stop. Your fan forever, Jay Bullington, who is the producer and co-host of Have You Seen This One? And you can look them up on haveyouseenthisone.com. And I did indeed just check out what their most recent podcast was just before we started recording, and it's on um, To Kill a Mockingbird, which I think it's, uh, I think scientists have to study this and prove that it's the complete opposite of Terror Night. Um, they also cover, they cover a lot of films that we would have common ground with, like exploitation, horror, science fiction, that type of stuff. But uh, they do delve into the sort of higher brow end of things as well, unlike us. Well, well I think we do delve into the high, high brow sometimes, don't we? Well, thank you for writing in. And um, who's got, who else has got something? Uh, Nathan, do you have anything? Um, well, just this one here. It says... Greetings, uh, hysteria continues. Nathan is the greatest of all time. Signed, Nathan. I see. Okay. You didn't so, make that thank up. you, Nathan, for your yeah. very accurate. Is that Nathan from One Nathan Street? Nathan in the state of Nathan. Yes. Oh, I think I know him. Yeah. I think that Nathan might have had a few too many Nathanians. Um, he's a good guy. Mm-hmm. He is like stellar. Drinking stellar. Actually, perhaps. I don't have any feedback. I hear he has a small winkle. <gasps> how dare you <laughs> uh joseph do you have anything uh no don't have anything right well i just have one here it says to justin joseph eric and nathan i just wanted to wish all four of you fabulous gents many congratulations on a decade of amazing podcasting the 10-year anniversary episode was brilliant and reminded me of just how much you've given us slasher fans over the years. The highlight had to be Eric's The Size of Laura's Ass joke, which I'd totally forgotten. I had me in hysterics oh, all you. over again. Um, well, I'm glad that someone. Um, but um, can't wait to see what the next 10 years brings. Uh, any clues as to what the future might hold? Um, well, I imagine it'd be the same old shit. This person goes on to say, uh, have you thought about a spin-off? The continuing hysteria, maybe. Uh, shorter minisodes featuring one of the foursome, each talking about other horror genres or slasher topics. Love to hear one about Justin's slasher collecting, Joseph's love affair with VHS, Nathan's filmmaking exploits, or Eric's toyer obsession. Okay, mm-hmm. maybe not the last one. Hey! This is true. This is true. David T, editor of Films, 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 or one word, .co.uk. So thank you, David. Um, yes, I think, um, who knows? Maybe we will sort of, uh, there might be an idea for uh, some mini-sos. Although, I don't know. So, so, <laughs> if, I, if I can't watch any recently seen, how am I going to do another podcast? <laughs> well, you never know. You never know. And, I mean, I'm sure, you know, this Eric's, you know, there's been quite a lot of... Um, um, you know, people have raised a couple of um, interesting points about Toya recently, haven't they, Eric? Yes, she's been doing those YouTube videos with her husband, Robert Fripp, who played guitar on Heroes by David Bowie. Um, and oh, they're married. I thought they were just like musical partners or something. No, they're a couple. They've been married for 35 years now. Oh, wow. Uh, I didn't know that. Um, yes, yeah, so Toya is doing these lockdown videos where she sings and he plays the guitar, but she's wearing really tight tops and no bra. And... Um, her boobies are very pert for a 62-year-old lady. They're very perky. I was shocked at that, mm. actually. Well, it's, it's, it, she, yeah, so it's nice for her to do something for her fan. Um, <gasps> You're so rude. I don't see Susie doing anything to raise the spirits of the nation in these difficult times. She doesn't care. That's not her job, is it? She wouldn't raise the spirits. 
Unless they were vodka. Yeah. Yeah. She would raise yeah. like dead spirits. Yeah, it's from true. a graveyard. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> she's so horrible and evil. And now a word from our friends. Want to learn more about horror directors? With a lighthearted look at three of their movies, meet fearless podcaster Gore Blimey. I've been unsettled by bats in the past and startled by parrots, and I've even been known to jump at the odd cockatoo. Discover horror films that are classics, and others, too. There's a topless aerobics massacre, an exploding rock singer, cannibals, nude martial arts, a deep fright But it's not all silliness. You'll get proper movie breakdowns, opinion, and background information, too. Yep, in the 80s and 90s, Jeff Stryker was huge in gay porn. In every sense. So if you're a horror film fan, come and check out the Trilogy of Terror podcast at strangeanddeadly.com or find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or on your podcatcher. One of those people that has a certain charisma and a certain style, and I'm just hoping one day he'll rub off on me. The Trilogy of Terror podcast, where we try three times harder to give you the willies. Hey, everybody. I'm Jay Bullington. And I'm Keith Carcino. And we want to know, have have you you seen seen this one? Have You Seen This One, a.k.a. Histo, is a podcast where two friends force, I mean, invite each other to watch movies the other one has never seen before. Sometimes it's a real movie treasure, and sometimes... And sometimes it's pure cinema torture. Boy, is it ever. Which reminds me, Keith, I'm still not done paying you back for Freddy Got Fingered. (laughs) Oh, man. So anyway, you may be asking yourself, what credentials or experience do these people have? And the answer is zero. Zilch. Zip. Yeah, we actually have no credibility whatsoever, and there's no... No reason we should be doing a show about movies. No, but we're doing it anyway. <laughs> Besides, doesn't everybody have a podcast nowadays? Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, it's mandatory, right? Now. Yeah. So please join our movie party. You can find us on iTunes or Stitcher or Overcast or pretty much wherever you catch your pods. Yep. And there's a new episode every two weeks. So we really hope you listen in because we really do want to know. Have, have you, you seen, seen this one? So, uh, yes, well, we, we're covering, aren't we? We're, we're going to be covering, uh, we're on doing our off-piste, aren't we, on our Patreon at the moment. So I we're going to be doing uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory coming up. Yes, and not the Fred Lincoln version of Willy Wonkers and the... No, but I, I watched it again today because uh, it's streaming on YouTube, and not YouTube, uh, Netflix, and I've forgotten how, quite how crazy that movie is. Yeah, Willy Wankers and the Fun Factory was the Fred J. Lincoln version, which is probably crazy-er. Yeah. Well, the thing that really shocked me was, did I, I mean, we're obviously not going to talk about it much, but did, did you see that in when they're going through the, the lake, going through the the river, you know, go psychedelic, yeah. and there's a, there's a scene where a, a real chicken gets decapitated. Yeah, I know. Was that was in the 100 Scariest Movie Moments. Was it? Okay, I didn't, re- I didn't remember sequence. that until I saw it, because I, I just looking up some trivia on that, and I thought, wow, that's... That's proper Mondo. It is proper Mondo stuff. And I thought, oh, poor old Justin's not going to enjoy that bit because I'd forgotten about that section. Um, For a kid, I know Royal Dahl is pretty dark, but uh, that was, uh, that's, but anyway, we'll save the talk yes. for yeah. for that. And um, presumably we've, um, our top three of 1975 has come out. So we're moving on to the year Punk Broke, 1976. So uh, yes, should be fun. So, yeah, if you want to join us the on Patreon. Susie was standing behind Johnny Rotten as he said bold words in the television. Yeah. Well, Susie kicked it all off, didn't she? Because Bill Grundy said he wanted to do rude things to her. She said, oh, I've always wanted to meet you. And he said, oh, well, let's get, best, let's get to know better each other better after the show. And then one of the sex pistols called him a dirty fucker. Your father's a pig, your mother's a whore. <gasps> well, I think you've kind of tipped the hat to what we're covering next yes. time. So who's, <laughs> whose choice is it next time? It's my choice next, and uh, I have chosen uh, J. Lee Thompson's 1983 Charles Bronson-starring nudie slasher, Ten to Midnight. And we are going to be joined, hopefully, by our good friend Amanda Reyes. Excellent. Always, always a, a, a pleasure to have her on the show. Yes. So bringing some, lots of good insight and humour, so uh, that should be a fun one. Um, and probably go on longer than this this one, which is about a, an hour and ten minutes. But uh, as long as we're over an hour, we don't feel like we cheated yes. you. So yeah. So um, anything left to say? 
Bloody movie. Bloody movie. Tearing out. Well, I'll tell you what we're playing out with. I, I had a couple of ideas, but as I can say, the last bit of trivia was that um, the uh, in Runyon Canyon, which was the uh, the place in Los Angeles, it's where goth icon Ros Williams' ashes were scattered. Who is Ros Williams? The lead singer Christian Death. This is Christian Death, Spiritual Cramp, one of their biggest hits. It's never in many big hits. Was it a hit? Yes. It was on, um, it, I remember seeing it on, uh, it was reviewed by Marky e. Smith from The Fall on on something like, a, um, I can't remember what it was called, it was uh, It was on Channel 4 in the 80s. Do you remember the one, there, there was, they used to have like late night and they used to get celebs to come on and review movies. That Susie okay, did yeah. um, stump. Does that ring any bells? I can't remember its name now. But anyway, uh, Marky e. Smith didn't realise they were really goffy, and they were about as goffy as you could possibly get. And a friend of mine auditioned to be, and she actually got um, uh, she she was um, accepted into the band, and um, oh. she didn't realise that she'd have to uh, sort of go on stage uh, in fishnets and with pictures of the Pope ripped up all around her. So she decided mm-hmm. not to join the band. Right. Uh, well, uh, thank you for listening to The Hysteria Continues. Um, and uh, yeah, from uh, one bit of sheer class with Terra Knight to another bit of sheer class uh, with Charles Bronson holding a um, suck you off toy. Uh, so, yes, as ever, keeping classy on The Hysteria Continues. So say goodbye to the good people. Bye, good people. Farewell. Alvider Zane. Goodbye. Embedded in my chest I can't be home without my bulletproof vest Killing myself for the perfect honeymoon Fighting with scorpions tied round my neck I hear the pitter patter of a killer on the loose Children use their fingers instead of words Crosses put my temples on Slaughter Avenue It takes too much time for me to say I refuse Time is digging graves for the chosen few Children dig the graves of Instead of words, fingers bury children under the boards. I can die a thousand times, but I'll always be here with the pedestal secrets of forgotten years. The haze and nooses touch and flexed in tears. My hands are the killers that confirm my fears. Jesus, won't you tell?